And I remember one very specific uh, moment was um, a, a rapper named Lil Tracy had a song called Like a Farmer, where he like <laughs> completely cosplays as a Southern farmer. This song, like it baffled me, the level of artistry and comedy. And that week when I heard it, I kept having dreams about it every night. And I think it's because like, as I said, like the, I didn't have a box to put it in. And, and I really like that. And I, I think that I've been drawn to that and been wanting to create that feeling for an, an audience. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, an ordinary man finds an unusual kind of fame in director Christopher Borgley's comedic thriller, Dream Scenario. The film tells the story of Paul, a family man who finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers start mysteriously seeing him in their dreams. But when his nighttime appearances start taking a nightmarish turn, Paul is forced to navigate his newfound infamy. In addition to Dream Scenario, Borgley's other directorial credits include the feature film Sick of Myself and the movie for television Drib. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Borgley spoke with director Tim Heidecker about filming Dream Scenario. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Good evening. Hello. Hi. Happy Thanksgiving. Haha. <laughs> uh, true story? Yeah. Yep. Happened to my dad. Cool. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, let's, another round of applause for the film if you enjoyed it. This was fantastic. Um, I got thrown off, I got asked to do this a couple days ago. Um, I guess somebody dropped out. I don't know who. No. Who initially had no, no, no. been uh, asked no, no initial. And they just told me no audience uh, questions. So, which was, I was going to coast on that. I was going to coast on your guys. So, uh, I'm, but we'll, we'll talk. I just saw it for the first time. I, I have scribbled notes here that I can't read because I was trying to watch the movie at the same time. So, I'll, I'll, I'll try to start biographically. Tell us a little bit about you. Um, this is your third film? Yeah, I mean, I guess I... Uh, um you're Norwegian. In, in vain, uh, uh, vanity, I, I say it's my um, second feature. <laughs> and that's only because I was so disappointed with my first one. Really? Um, yeah, I, I made a uh, feature in 2016 called Drib, which was a reenactment of um, a real marketing campaign. Um, and uh, it was funded by a very small uh, uh, area of the Norwegian Film Institute that was dedicated to uh, sort of not new media, but just like experimental ways of sh telling a story. And it was uh, shot as a, uh, you know, I, I said it was a, a, a reenactment of a real thing and we're going to cast the real person uh -huh. who it happened to. Um, and, um, also there's a, a clause in the Norwegian Film Institute that says you have to shoot everything in Norway with Norwegian people. But I insisted that the real story happened in the, in the U S in LA. 
so we had to go there and shoot, and they made an exception for that. But in reality, the the story never happened, which I told them like after the fact. <laughs> um, but uh, the 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 discrepancy between like what I wanted that film to be and what it ended up being was so big that uh, yeah. I've done the same thing that they did to Pluto, that they downgraded it from a planet to <laughs> right. a dwarf. Okay, planet. well, f- that movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I just watched your sec- your fir- I guess now your first film. <laughs> yeah. uh, I- I'm sick of myself. Sick of myself. Yeah. Sick of myself. Yeah. I'm sick of. It's just sick of myself. Just sick of yeah. myself. Yeah. Has has anyone seen Sick of Myself? It's unbelievably. It's so great. It's very upsetting. It's. Uh, would you call it kind of body horror? Yeah. Psychological. It's it's terrifying and grotesque, uh, and amazing. So um, that was my prep. Please watch that film uh, after this one. Yeah. Um, so this idea. This this idea comes to you, and do you think certainly this has been done? Like it's so good. It's, yeah. it's like a, it's like one of those beautiful ripe apples. You're like, oh come on. I, yeah. I, I, I'm not the guy that gets to have this idea. Yeah. I mean, I I thought about uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, okay. Okay. So there's that. Which <laughs> there is that idea. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not completely out of nowhere, but yeah. But it was like. Um, um, it, in the way that uh, Shin Godzilla, I don't know if anyone's seen that movie, but it, it was a, a film, uh, a Japanese film that made an impression on me because it was a high concept idea of, of the Godzilla coming into Tokyo to destroy the city. Right. But the whole movie focuses on the bureaucracy uh, uh, in, in Japan and how it fails to respond to the Godzilla. Right. And... Um, and I guess similarly here, and which happens with every time I write something, there's like a clash of a couple of ideas that makes something feel like a fully fleshed sort of enough of an idea for a movie. Uh, with Sick of Myself, it was a, a huge interest in body horror aesthetics, but not loving the tone personally of yeah. body horror movies wanting to sort of hijack that and put that in a sort of Woody Allen movie. Yeah. Um, and with this one, it, it was like sort of a high concept horror ish idea, but I wanted to place it somewhere else. So I'd already thought about a character, um, a middle-aged professor who felt entitled to recognition for work that he hadn't even started yet. Yeah. <laughs> and that was funny to me, but I had nowhere to go with that story. So, this so the character kind of comes first, not the, w- not the kind of cleverness of the dr- dr- well, in, person in a dream. In this one, I already had the, the character, or that was something that was, I was toying around with. I didn't know where to put it or where to go with that character. And then on the other end of things, I was having... Um, an argument with a friend about uh, Carl Jung and if we should take as we do him, as if we should take him seriously and and you know in here in California he's for some reason a respected figure that you know that we take seriously um, <laughs> I don't have an I don't I don't have an opinion on him I guess it's it's just like a very uh, you know mythical and 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 uh, almost magical, magic believing in a way. Right. He has a he has collective this, unconscious. Concept. He has a collective unconscious, the, uh, which is a, a great sort of idea. Um, it's this sort of way that we're connected somehow cosmically. 
uh, and that there's symbols and and uh, uh, characters that seem to pop up in people's dreams yeah. across different parts of the culture at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I was doing research on this uh, just to win an argument out of spite, and then started <laughs> sort of falling in love with his his uh, ideas as as uh, like aesthetically falling in love fall in love with it, and then. Sort of a combination with that, and then so you got converted character. a bit by doing the research. No, no, no. I, I think I still like have a, a still firm cookie. stance on like we shouldn't scientifically use any of his writings as a tool to sort of a, a guide for our lives or psychology. Yeah. Personally, I hope I'm not offending anyone. Offend, uh, please. I, I mean, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're all. This is all, how many directors we have. These are all directors, right? How many directors? Full directors? <laughs> Full directors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. So It's intimidating to be like doing this in front of your peers, no? I, exactly. I, I don't see them. So you're bright, so young. Bright, so I'm so young. And so the talented. And bright and They're so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> your words. I mean. I'm just kidding. Um, either way, um, somewhere along the line of, of having a character and having some sort of... Uh, fantastical concept mushed them together and and the story started unfolding yeah uh let's talk about um nicholas cage so how do you for do you have him yes nick get out here get down here um <laughs> uh is, is he in your head as you're writing this or is it you're not there yet it's yeah no i i wrote this uh even before sick of myself was done so i felt like um I, you know, as a nobody, I would, didn't dare to think that I could have uh, somebody. Yeah. Um, and um, I wrote it without anyone in mind. I thought just I need a good actor. That was my ambition. Yeah. Um, and uh, once, you Smart. know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good director. Yeah. Um, and uh, it wasn't until A24 and, and Ari Aster and Lars Knudsen came on to produce that we started talking, you know, names. And yeah. once Nicolas Cage was on the table, it became obvious to me that uh, he was the best suited person to play it, not only for his acting talents, but also because he does feel like a, almost like a symbolic We own him figure. in our minds yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I mean, I thought it was his best since adaptation. I think I don't know what else he's right. I mean, yeah, he's done a lot of he's done great things. I really like <laughs> his his adaptation yeah. uh, performance, and I, I remember telling him that um, in in like his uh, uh, catalog that that character might be the closest. Yeah, to this there's a character. sad sack. There's, the yeah, there's it. like a neurotic uh, beta male yeah. aspect. Who, was it written as bald or was that? That idea? was actually his idea. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he said, I see a bald man when I read this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he looks great. He's so funny. And so it's this weird tension of uh, where you, you've written him and, the, and he's supposed to be this kind of boring guy. But it's Nicolas Cage, and there's this. There, he, he's so there's a there's a dorky silliness about him too, that you know I think makes it just a much a much more fun movie to watch than if you just got an actual 
dud. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he, uh, he took, uh, some of these scenes that are, that doesn't have any, like the character doesn't have anything to, to do really yeah. other than just kind of be in the background or kind of be, uh, um, uh, like on the receiving end of some, something. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he found a way to, you know, even that moment where he's meeting his old colleague at the restaurant, there's like so much body language and, and nuances and, and timing and mannerisms um, that also like I saw that in the scene. But also when I'm editing, I see that he's he's like sort of an architect of a, a, a performance that has these like running jokes of body language that yeah. we never even talked about it just I, dawned on me in the edit that he was doing something that was yeah. like bigger than just impulses in the moment. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I'm just in awe of, uh, of, uh, I mean, you wouldn't tell us, uh, if I don't think you'd be that forthcoming, but it seems like it, he was having a great time. Was it fun? Was it a fun experience to work with him? I'm just saying if it wasn't, you wouldn't be like, it was a nightmare, but, um, <laughs> it, it, that's the feeling you get from this movie that it feels like he's, uh, he's enjoying this. He's having a blast doing this part, playing this part. Uh, yeah, I I uh, had a really good time um, shooting this with him, and I think we both um, had a lot of. We had fun when we were discussing the scenes of of like what the character is doing, and we're laughing at where he's going. But once we're on set and on the day, he we had a like an agreement that we're shooting a drama. We're not shooting a comedy yeah. and we're, we, we won't let the character in on the joke. Um, so right. every scene, like the, the character is always stuck inside of a drama. And in that sense, you know, uh, the, th there was something about like not breaking that and not coming out and cracking jokes at the performance between yeah. each take, but letting him stay in that kind of mindset. Uh, so I was, I had to like move my monitor into different rooms <laughs> yeah. away from him because sure. I was laughing so hard. Sure. Uh, and, and I didn't want to ruin the vibe on set. I personally think like the, in, I mean, I, I'm in a, the genre of comedy in which I don't like the, I don't like genres anymore. I figured like I, I did, they bother me because I think the funniest, some of the funniest is in drama lately. I mean, yeah. in general, like, and comedies frankly, aren't that funny, you know? So, like, you know, like Fargo, the movie Fargo is yeah. one of the funniest movies yeah, yeah, to yeah. me. And I agree. I don't know if we're supposed to call it a comedy, but this is the way I feel about, you, you know, your last film and this film. It's it 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 straddles genres. And I think it's kind of important for filmmakers and writers and creators to stop worrying too much about about genre. And, and you know, that maybe is for A24 to worry about or marketers to worry about but yeah no i i really agree and I, i've really enjoyed when um some piece of art or music or a film um makes me uh, stop in my tracks i don't have a neat box to put it in mm -hmm. and so i uh am, am sort of forced to participate in in deciding what this is and what i'm watching yeah. and sometimes like that confusion um uh, it lingers in my head and I can't, uh, it feels like I'm not done with the art yeah. after the fact. And, and I remember one very specific, uh, moment was, um, uh, a rapper named Lil Tracy had a song called like a farmer. 
where he like <laughs> completely cosplays as a southern farmer. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. And, and but it's like such a good song too. It's like really good. And um, this song, like, it baffled me the level of artistry and comedy happening at once. Yeah. And taking. Why does this exist? Yeah. And I that week when I heard it, I kept having dreams about it every night. And I think it's because, like, as I said, like the I didn't have a box to put it in, so my brain was like subconsciously trying to figure it <laughs> Process out. Process it, yeah, yeah. And and I really like that, and I I think that I've been drawn to that and been wanting to create that feeling for an, an audience. Yeah. Do you so you uh, you dip into like social uh, satire a bit with with especially with the. The idea of cancel culture. Obviously, you've set this film on on a campus. There's, of course, a lot of talk in the news about campus culture or the woke cancel. You know, yeah, all, all those this word uh, gumbo that is a lot of it feels kind of meaningless to me. But uh, how did you navigate that? Why, did, you know, how deeply did you want to get in? Like, what 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 statement did you want to make about that? In the film. Right. I mean, the uh, thing that I wanted to do was look at something that usually you see like a high concept thing like this. Yeah. Uh, get treated with an uh, internal logic in movies. Uh, so like, uh, you know, a UFO landing on planet Earth. And it's like it feels like the logic of the movie feels just very true to us. But then once you rip it out of that and look at it in our context, how we talk about things, it becomes kind of funny. Yeah. I, I remember seeing a tweet that was someone like dissecting Saw, the movie Saw. Mm-hmm. It's like, first of all, murder is literally illegal. And like <laughs> taking it like seriously yeah, yeah. and talking about right. the way that we talk about things. I thought that was really funny. Oh, and well, I, I mean, just not to interrupt, but the, I think we're in this, there's this, plague of literalism happening right now where people just take everything they see for, for, you know, like this has to be explained and understood as, as real. And it can't be like, well, there, there's a couple of, uh, what are they? There's, there's some plot holes here or there, there's, there's some logic jumps we have to make. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, you know, th- that, uh, that is, I do see that as a problem. And I'm sure there's plenty of criticism out there in TikTok world or whatever of people saying how, well, why didn't they, why don't you explain why this happened? Right. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So the, the whole thing about like, it it reflects um, the, I guess, twists and turns of any big phenomenon that lands in our culture today. It gets, you know, seems like there's a playbook out there that I just uh, applied to this phenomenon. Uh, and I thought that w- w- was funny to look at, you know, this um, this dream epidemic be dissected the same way that we would dissect um, somebody that's being canceled in real time. Yeah, yeah. But this, in this case, you find that your this Nicholas Cage's character truly is innocent. I mean, he's not doing anything. Yeah, exactly. And and but the thing is, like, I wasn't really focused on uh, the phenomenon itself. Um, it was how does it reveal something about our culture and our character that we're watching? And right. it's, you know, in a moment of crisis, 
you become you, but uh, even more so. That's like a saying uh, that I, I was playing with uh, in, in this and, and other things that I do is, is, you know, getting a character to go through something that reveals even more who they are. Um, and uh, I found, you know, I found it so um, heartbreaking and funny that the moment when he makes this tearful apology and it gets just thrown out by everybody, including his wife. Yeah. And I didn't feel like he was, I don't, I feel like that was just him. He's just an awkward, weird guy. <laughs> and he wasn't being insincere. He was yeah. trying his best. Yeah. And he was very legitimately upset. And the fact that it was immediately discounted felt very like hopeless. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's, I think that at least me, I can't speak for you or anyone here, but I think like we all maybe, at least I <laughs> feel that there's, uh, a cost to engagement in any way. A hundred percent. And I think that, um, I was thinking about someone just stumbling into uh, a massive phenomenon and, uh, having to navigate our culture, uh, without, uh, the, the tools. Like I was imagining my father, like <laughs> what if he just overnight became like a big sensation? Right. And I'm not saying he would do the things that we just saw, but yeah. he would be as ill-equipped to navigate it delicately. Right. And I think uh, there's a saying that like um, trying to correct an error only makes it worse. And and I think that that's what we're watching here is this, yeah. this character who's also, you know, has a, a lot of principles that he keeps like giving up in order to yeah. maybe fix the problem. Um, and that apology video is, you know, something that he's clearly stated that that's beneath him and goes against his principles. And then you see him do it in like a very pathetic way. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yeah, I feel bad for, I like, I, I, th to me, when I was writing this, I, I just had so much fun seeing him suffer. And yeah. I don't know if that's the, what the audience <laughs> feels, but me just like, I, I just really liked throwing me under the bus and, and just watching the, yeah, I mean, I think as I get older, I enjoy that less. <laughs> it's a young man's game. Uh, but there is kind of a sweetness at the end. Yeah. There is this a bit of a love story. There's, you wanna, yeah, there's, you want to just feel like, I mean, you can't just, like I said, there's something about his performance. He's silly. He, there's a lovableness to him. He is sad and pathetic, but you, you don't, you kind of want to root for him. Was that important? Yeah, I mean, I always also felt that, that wasn't a studio note. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Like, like this guy, I, I, yeah, I always uh, uh, um, liked him as a character, and also like I really appreciate when any piece of fiction or or nonfiction autobiographical like comic books that I've read where uh, someone is just being honest about their flaws in a way that it makes me feel a little bit better about who I am and yeah. feel a little bit less alienated from the world. Um, so in that sense, I, I wanted to sort of take um, some of my own like bad traits uh, and, and just turn them up to 11 and, and, yeah bake them into this character. Um, but I, I do, I like, I feel for him and I, uh, um, I sort of, I've always been rooting for him, but I'm also like, um, having fun watching him trip on all of these conceptual banana peels. 
You know what? Uh, let's talk about the the Michael Sarah Kate Berlant uh, world, yeah, <laughs> uh, which was very funny and very well done. I think I, I've I've done a lot of commercials, and I the language being spoken in that was that was the scariest part of the whole com- the whole movie. <laughs> it was so right on the money and disgusting and right very accurate. And um, by the way, I read for Michael Sarah's part. Um, oh, I know. Yeah. Did he read for it, or was he just offered, or was it an offer only? Was it? He's sort <laughs> just of just kidding. got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, he was fantastic, but I think it was the right guy for the part. Right. I mean, it would have it would have been a different movie with yeah, because he was supposed to be a little bit younger, you mm-hmm. know. And then Kate get <laughs> Kate gets to do her thing and kind of be the funny one, and yeah. Um, yeah, I would have, it would have been a bit of a, uh, you know, we would have been fighting for, for screen time. Oh yeah. That's, that but, was my concern. <laughs> yeah. But I, I was, it occurred to me that like, there's a very, there's a very like comedy way of handling that part of the story, which is he's, he went viral and you're seeing tick, 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 you know, you're seeing people talking, you're going around the world and, and there's a, there's, a, there's just like a shitty way of doing that. And you got very specific, especially in that very long, what's it called? Thoughts? Yeah. The, the, the very long boardroom. I, I say very long complimentary. Like it's, it was beautifully long. Uh, how it was just, you're stuck in this uh, horrible boardroom listening to these idiots. Um, and listening to him foolishly be obstinate about his principles in this yeah, situation. Yeah. Uh, and thinking he has some kind of agency in this. And, uh, uh, yeah, just, just very uncomfortable. Um, how, how, uh, much do you, you obviously recognize the care you put into making that very specific and not be, because I think if, if there's somebody writing a story where somebody goes viral, that it feels like it could easily go into, uh, you know, something we've seen a million times before. It's very hard to navigate to make sure that it doesn't feel, uh, you know, like a processed story, story, uh, beat. Yeah. Uh, and this, this felt very unique and, and part of the uncomfortableness of the film was spending time in these, in the details of, of what that experience is, if that yeah. makes sense. And, and, uh, similar to you, I've, I've spent time in advertising too, and I've done, uh, ads and that's, uh, how I sort of got through my, uh, twenties. Yeah. Um, and I've, it just stuck with me the the sort of the culture the language in those tell you stories and i could tell everybody we could tell we could probably tell many stories that would mean the end of our career in advertising yeah but but the thing is i um have like paul matthews like taken a stand almost like i'm leaving this world um, and then I see you guys do commercials and they're really fun. And I feel like, am I like foolishly sticking well, like, to my principles? I mean, the, you know, David Lynch does commercials. The, uh, people do like respected people. Not that I'm a respected person, but people do it. It's like a gig, you know, it's a job. And I, I'm sure everyone here understands that, that it's like part of the, you know, it, it allows you to do your art because it, you know, you don't have to worry about the bills as much, but yeah, but and you a, can be creative and you can work with your friends. You can hire your friends and you can try to make something and making things is fun. Yeah. That's how I justify it. I don't know about you guys, but, <laughs> but also like the, the way that you guys have been doing, it seems 
to uh, just go further than just being hired for an Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Sometimes we get that chance, but oftentimes it's like, here's the script, you know, and you're deciding if it should be blue or light blue. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Those, um, those were the ones I did. Too. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have to wrap it up. I wish, I really wish, you know, I'm sure you can, uh, call, you can want to give out your number. People can call you. Sure. Um, <laughs> give us just in a minute or two. I always just want to know more about this from, because uh, you're, you're right. You don't write this with anybody, write this alone. Yeah. Um, what is your process, your writing process, if you can get a little boring and granular with it? Yeah. Because I just think that's very interesting. I don't know about you guys, but yeah. how do you do that? What is, what is your ritual or what is your uh, process? Yeah. And it's become very specific too. It's, um, I wake up in the morning and I have a coffee and then I take the modem, the internet modem. Oh, this is smart. Why don't I do this? And my phone in the car, in the trunk of my car, and I drive 20 blocks away and I park in a random place, walk back. And I bought like a, a an iPod for the walk back because I want music for that part. Okay. Um, oh, and- so you're nuts. Yeah. And then <laughs> I, I come home and then I, like, there's no distractions and, yeah, yeah. and I spend, uh, the whole day, hopefully writing. Um, there's like one thing on, uh, the computer, which is when you're, you, you're not connected to the internet. Google Chrome has this like balancing dinosaur uh-huh. game. For some reason I get stuck playing that for very long. But outside of that, I stick to writing um, but you don't use the, so you don't ever need the internet, the world out there in the, in, in the writing process. It, I, that, that's like a rationale that's like, oh yeah, you, you got to walk back, get my modem, drive back. No, cause I'm it's like, confused about the walking and driving, but that's okay. I, if I, I need to do research, that's like a different type of a day. Right. So if I've, I've decided it's going to be a writing day, I, I like stay offline. And I've also experimented with the, like the distance. If I park the car like 10 blocks away, <laughs> I might get up and just walk over there. Yeah. And there's like a... Wow. So you park it far enough away that the idea of going to get it becomes like, forget it. I'm just... Yeah. Gonna- and it, it's like, if you go out and it's like, it takes you, what, like 15 minutes to walk there. There's enough time to hate yourself where you're like, okay, I give up. I got to go back. <laughs> Um, all right. That's, that's more specific than I could ever have imagined or hoped for. <laughs> and I'm so glad that everyone should try it. You should put a book out no, or a video it and try it, it for works. a week, see if it works. Yeah. I'm going to try it. Yeah. Um, unfortunately we've run out of time. I would have loved to, I can talk to you. I'd love to talk to you some more privately if that's okay. That's okay. That'd be my honor. <laughs> uh, thank you all for coming to this and, uh, thanks for coming. Th- and thank you. My pleasure. Have a great all right. night. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America.